Hello and welcome to the Social Review Podcast. I'm joined today by editors Michael and Sam to discuss House of Cards, a 1990 BBC drama based on the book of the same name by Margaret Thatcher's former Chief of Staff, Michael Dobbs. The show centres around the Machiavellian rise of Francis Urquhart, the Tory Chief Whip, passed over for a promotion to high office after Margaret Thatcher's resignation. Its first episode aired two days before Michael Heseltine challenged for the Tory leadership in 1990. We'll today mainly be focusing on the first series, which is available on BBC iPlayer. So first question, what did you think of it? I re-watched it for this, basically. Um, And I watched it probably when I was about, like, 18, 19, because it's one of those things that, like, when you're pet, well, like you got family members who are like, oh, you're into politics, you should watch this thing from back in the day or whatever. And then you go through watching, like, Spitting Image or whatever, and you're like, hmm, not sure I really trust your recommendations anymore. But <laughs> watching this, or like, originally, I think um, I really enjoyed it. And then re-watching it now, I think it's just probably some of the kind of best short-form political drama I think has probably been made by the BBC or in the UK. I'm not sure if it's made by the BBC, but certainly in the UK. Um, and I think as a as a kind of just one series thing, I think we'll get into it a little bit later about why the you know the subsequent series were not quite as strong. Um, I think it's just completely bulletproof in terms of both its its characterization of British politics, how it captures the scuzziness and the sleaziness of you know, British politics generally, but especially during that kind of 80s, 90s um, period of history. And then as well as that, I just think in terms of plot, it's it's pretty simple in terms of its plot. Um, but beyond that as well, I think the characterization of Francis Erka and the main leads within this, I think the, char- the actor who plays Roger O'Neill, who is the kind of beleaguered Irish press secretary throughout it, um, is just, is like a really underrated performance kind of watching it. And you can see they lean heavily on kind of, you know, theatre tropes and soliloquy and things like that. But I think, you know, what makes it work and what makes it endure, I think, is the characterization, but also the fact that everyone, even these pretty minor actors in terms of the kind of greater scheme of things, bring an incredible level of, of performance to it and also authenticity to the, to the world as a whole. And I think it's obviously carried by Urka as a, as a kind of character. Um, and I, you know, I just, I was kind of blown away watching it thinking like, Oh, I remember enjoying this and I remember thinking this was good, but like coming back to it now, having kind of got a kind of a better appreciation of British politics, knowing a little bit more about the history, kind of working in politics for a little bit. It's like, Oh, this is, yeah, this is re- the real deal. I would say. Uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. I don't disagree with any of the. Um, uh, I, think, I think it's important to say your perspective on it because you, you've never seen it before. This is the first time you've, you've ever watched. Yeah, it. I think in terms of the, I think the acting is fantastic. Um, it, it moves along at a good pace. It's, it's very well um, filmed. You know, all the kind of technical things are, are there. Um, I I kept having to remind myself to take it in the spirit in which it's intended, which is a sort of satire, because there were times where I was just like, "This is ridiculous," um, um, and it oh, did sort of well. Examples. I mean, it it does strike me as absolutely bananas that anyone thinks that Urquhart could have become prime minister in the nineties. I mean, he's the sort of person who could have become prime minister in the fifties or so. 
pre-60s, and he's a sort of pre-Wilson figure, really. Um, there's no way that he would ever have survived in the world of mass media that was coming into existence. I mean, Major was already sort of seen as being on the bland side a bit, you know, not... He's like, Colling Ridge is basically the Major figure, right? Um, and the f idea of Urquhart going to the country against a sort of Tony Blair figure, I just think, uh, which is presumably what happens... I don't know. You guys I are going to tell me that's not, is, that's not so what happens in this universe. But it's, but what it's I'm, written in 1989 as yes. the, the fall of Thatcher. And I, I watched an interview with the author, and he says that a thing no one in the party could imagine, because he he uh, resigned in, or was sacked, I can't remember, in 1987. Um, and he said the thing that no one in the party then could imagine was the fall of Thatcher. So I think, you know, yeah. it is, it, the world that it's in, it's it is just that sort of slim ecosystem of just the Tory yes. party is Great Britain, you know? Yeah, So exactly. I, I think within that context, it definitely works. Like, obviously, like, in the later series is why it sort of, you know, isn't as good because it it, it stays in that world to an extent yeah. and while the rest of the world moves on. I think it's but, a kind of... It, it's an interesting hangover of um, a kind of period in, I, I guess... Um, political thinking or at least in terms of the way in which british politics is perceived where the opposition isn't the main character of british politics in that the the labor party as it exists in this is like three people who occasionally get mentioned <laughs> and the main character of british politics rightly i think is like the governing party and the machinations of it it's not something that's necessarily concerned i think it's probably a product of of the author's expertise and also where yeah. the kind of you know, center of gravity was in terms of the the focus of the media at the time was that people were pretty unconcerned with the the inner workings of the Labour Party and were more kind of interested in stories about you know characters like Francis Herker. And I, I completely agree with Sam's point. It's it's almost speculative fiction in the sense of you've got this weird hangover from another era of British politics. What would that look like? And it's kind of interesting to watch it, especially kind of like post Cameron where the you know the conservatives have shedded have shared lots of their kind of like old money pastiches i guess and how it's kind of really gauche to to be kind of like properly posh even now like you know even like you look at the rishi sunaks of the world and things like that is like oh no he's like you know pure new money pure like nouveau riche kind of like you know whatever self-made in inverted commas um Whereas you can't really imagine, I, you know, you can't really think of like the the equivalent is like probably like Jacob Rees Mogg in terms of that mold. But even he, even he is a sort of caricature. Like he yeah. is, he's not actually like um, as aristocratic as he would like to no. present himself. No, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, I the I mean. I, ju I just want to say, you know, I did enjoy it. I do think it's really good TV. But, you know, there were moments where, um, you know, Urquhart was lying to someone or and, and using someone, Colin Ridge or whoever, and they were saying, you're a really good friend. Um, and it felt very pantomime at times, almost. Kind no, of, I think it's, totally, you, it's totally meant to, though. Like, as I said, like yeah. the, the interview with the author, he said, like, you know the thing that I met people ask me. People he said people ask me, um, you know, where who who's this? Where did I get it from? Blah blah blah. He said he just lifted it from Julius Caesar Shakespeare. You know, and I think that is, oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. why it's like and that's Richard why it III, works so um, much. Yeah, and Macbeth, you know? it's yeah, it's yeah, very sure. But the the um the I mean 
like the other thing i i'm i'm just poking holes because i i find it fun to do to do it but i do love this sort of world where no one sort of has an understanding of what the chief whip is and what they do and no one goes that okay guy knows a lot about people um maybe maybe he's behind this and, it, and the way it sort of dawns on matty over a very long time i just thought was i was yeah you know, obviously it's fine it's drama but there were what times mean, where i was like come like, on come on i, th guys. I think the, the journalism thing was really funny though because it's like um the it was it, you can sort of see the sort of precursor to laura Kay in in matty in uh, <laughs> you know in just taking lines printing the lines it, it here's here's the line there's a line print the line there you go that's it obviously i'm not accusing yeah. laura k of um sleeping with the, the uh, government chief whip but yeah. it's it's the whole media <sighs> ecosystem of if you have access then you use that access and you don't question why you're getting that access and to what purpose you're being used for yeah 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 I I have to say that um because I obviously I've I've never seen it before so I didn't know what to expect and I, I think I told you Kieran I, I texted you I was, when I got to the end of the second episode and um um the uh, the bit where Matty says something like you underestimate your your political abilities and he goes oh in a kind of campy way I'm whatever you know and then she says i think you also underestimate how attractive you are i actually like start the laptop and just <laughs> <laughs> thank you for uh, reenacting that scene for us here you know if only this was a video broadcast the uh, listeners at home could, could see sam leaning into the mic for that one <laughs> I, I i couldn't stop laughing for about five minutes <laughs> yeah i mean i mean but that's that leads into another sort of thing of the the psychosexual um, nature of the Tory party, which is, it's hard to watch the show and see and think that it's not, that it's accidental, you know, it, it's, it's clearly not, you know, and if you look how Westminster politics is still run these days, um, you know, then, yeah, it's, it's another thing that the show was quite right on and is still quite right on. And, you know, the yeah. treatment of women in the show is, you know, I mean, you can look at the treatment of women in the show and look at Westminster today and think, I don't know, this kind of thing still goes on. But obviously, like, sexual harassment is still rife within Westminster yeah. politics broadly. You know, obviously for the show, it's it's not even played as, oh, this is a really bad thing. It's just this is something that goes on. You know? Yeah. It was, is it Penny? the that, Penny Guy, uh, which is a terrible, terrible name. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. The first episode where you're you don't get used to it but you know it becomes established that this is a thing that she's just sexually harassed here there and everywhere that first episode is stomach churning when you get all those lewd comments and i mean it's yeah the it's most, the most dated oh. came when um matty had a brick put through a window and mm. she called her friend to come round, and then he starts coming on to her and it's just that that was probably like the grimmest and that that was sort of yeah. played for a you know um and I, I know in the book that they were uh, an item as well so i think it was i, I don't yeah, know what yeah yeah i looked that up yeah 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 but 
very uh, very grim stuff <laughs> and, it, and it isn't portrayed that way either really it's sort of like, oh no, no no that's the thing like that is yeah. the sort of that is the thing that dates it the most because it's portrayed as like a thing of a legitimate question from this guy you know like, yeah at this point in time as yeah, well yeah yeah exactly <laughs> this is a good moment take, take um, the hint said pain come on man <laughs> I tell you who did look like Seb Payne in it, apart from all of them. But who really looked like him was the um, was the guy who accidentally leaked the poll in the, <laughs> the first or second episode. Like, you know, oh, the, yes, yes. I, yes, I literally yes. wrote it down straight away. I was like, that is Seb Payne right there. That man is never getting selected for a Tory seat. <laughs> Joke's on you when he eventually does. It's going to happen eventually. I love know. it because he'll lose his seat. You know, he will, he will, he'll get selected somewhere. We maybe, maybe the dream ticket is him versus Paul Mason, Islington North. That's what we all <laughs> want to see. You know, give the people what they want. Yeah, Jeremy Corbyn, Paul Mason, Seb Payne. Oh, <laughs> what a let contest. them let them let them fight. Let them fight. Yeah, but you know, I, eventually. I mean, this is off topic, but Seb Payne will eventually get elected, and then it it will it could it could well know. be during you opposition. Make and a just... long list for the latest one, and that's just embarrassing, you know. <laughs> like, it's quite surprising when you have such a position of national prominence and yeah, such a platform. He's one of the most prominent. I'm in a think tank as well. You know, he's yeah. got a regular column in any. He can write for basically anyone he wants. A new statesman had him the other day. You know. Yeah. It's quite funny to contrast him with like someone else. So, like I was listening to, I think it's like Politico did like um, a, a series about MP selections, and they they went over like, oh, this is like let's go to Rishi Sunak's constituency and like ask the local association about that, and they were like, oh yeah, no, like he had nothing to do with the place, no one knew him, and but like he came in, <laughs> char charmed all the grannies, was really impressive, and we were like, yeah, okay you can be our MP. And I like to imagine that like there's these association meetings happening with these kind of like blue rinsed nans in the local conservative association and Seb Payne walks in and just like every single one of them's like fuck this. No, you can't. You absolutely can't. <laughs> so they'll say, well I like the Lee Anderson type, but I did not like the Will from the Inbetweeners type. You know, yeah. that is that's not for me, you know. Let's get back to the show. I mean, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure people enjoy our digressions about Seb Payne. Yeah. But um, I think one of the things the show sort of addresses is um, as a question that is still obviously very prominent today is what is the point of a post-Stature Tory party? And the way the show sort of addresses it is the point is to gain power, you know. And obviously yeah. i don't i think that's been borne out pretty well because there's you know in the latest series they try and sort of do a bit of the politics of it but they never really you know they never really say anything beyond the sort of platitudes of like um i think i remember them saying you know look after 40 percent of the country the other 60 percent can go to hell stuff like that you know <laughs> <laughs> but and i think it's the sort of the way the show it 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 does politics without ever talking about policy you know, it, it does that quite well. Yeah, and one yeah. thing I found very uh, sort of ironic was in the subtitles, all of the stuff relating to right wing was never there. He was always, this country needs a strong right wing leader. And it would say, this country needs a strong leader. You know what I mean? So it was it was very funny watching it sort oh. of rewritten in real time. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah, very strange. Yeah, you get this, uh, you get the satirizing of um, sort of vacuous. Um, well, you can tell you can tell where the sympathies of the 
the original source material lie, right? Because you get the kind of um, lampooning of the Hesseltine figures um, and sort of, you know, we need to be caring and kind and, and that kind of uh, conciliatory Toryism that you start to get yeah, in the 90s, I, I, right? On, but there's sorry. nothing, but no, but, well, no, I think you're going to say what I'm going to say, which is basically it stops there, really, right? There's yeah. a, it, it, it betrays that kind of conservatism as vapid um and states you know it's clear that urquhart is is on the right of the party and that merges in conversations but at no point do they ever actually discuss what that means apart yeah. from apart from that guy with the the press magnates where he's he promises that the um uh the mergers and monopolies and mergers commission will go, will go away um, the best character in the entire series by the way is just this just this stupid american caricature i, I oh, so good <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's, I was going to say, like, apart from Samuels, who is the young upstart who is obviously meant to be Hesseltine, yeah. there isn't really any. I mean, unless we're all missing something, I mean, I don't really see any one. The health, one. Minister, the health minister looks like John Major, he's got like the specs yeah. and everything, but apart from that, there is there is nothing, yeah. But he's not really fleshed out enough as well, mm. like, you know, as a character. No. Like, the, 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 the other main character is Patrick Walton, who I mean, I don't know, he's who he's, I mean. You know, he's more he's more like Lee Anderson than anyone else, but that's obviously yeah. not. Um, yeah. yeah. So I mean, he's he's definitely not like uh, Douglas Hurd or anyone like that. So, um, what was what were any of your favourite moments? I, I've been kind of like thinking about because I, I you know I've worked in Parliament a little bit now and I've, I don't go up too regularly, but I, I'm in and around it and. Um, the bit where Urquhart says to Matty, he's like, oh, it's exactly like being like a private school prefect or whatever. And I was like, <laughs> without even really trying to make a comment on the wider culture of like Westminster and like the palace of it, it just struck me as like, oh no, this is like, this is exactly what this feels like when you walk in, in terms of the the whole institution is kind of set up and catered to almost emulate those like elite private schools and the the, the ecosystem around it. Um, and uh, I know it was just very incisive in that, in that this was written in, you know, the late eighties and we've come, you know, like 40 years hence now, but best part of that. And it, it, I don't think parliament has ever really shaken off the influence of those institutions. And I think it's probably part of the reason why they're so like reluctant to decant as well, is that there is a whole kind of culture around the elite private schools and just kind of private schools more generally about, the kind of vibe of parliament um and i just thought it was kind of like really you know it was interesting to the, what i thought about off the back of that was in terms of how these institutions have shaped westminster and how westminster has in turn shaped these institutions and i just thought like you know whenever like I, i've been in it's like i just can feel completely out of place and that you never really kind of you belong in that environment i can't imagine for like any mps from a halfway ordinary background it must be really weird to be a kind of like semi-ordinary conservative mp because the kind of background of that party and the kind of institutional memory of that party is just so old money that i i, I don't even know how you would you would function other than just kind of not thinking about it and i just i think it was just an interesting you know like snapshot of that period of history and you, you kind of think that there was you know, transition after that in terms of like David Cameron getting more ordinary people in and things like that. Well, quote unquote ordinary, and and now 
even now you kind of look you look to the staff and things like that to work in Westminster is really expensive to live in London is really expensive so you'll have MPs who are relatively normal but their staff like sound like they're like old money mega rich sort of thing because the only people who can work you know on no money in Westminster to be a researcher are people who are already wealthy um so I just think it you know for me I I just spiraled off that private school comment because I was like what well, this is essentially what it is and I, I think fundamentally a lot of MPs are quite unserious and haven't ever really graduated from that kind of school mentality or the herd mentality as it were and that's why you know whips exist which is why it's always perplexing to see like Andy Burnham and that and other people go like oh no we're just going to get rid of whips or, or things and like the Green Party say oh yeah no we don't whip and it's like how do you think that's actually going to work guys but it's also much like uh lenin's i'm going to just ban factions and factions won't exist anymore guys you know <laughs> yeah i, I think you know, i spiraled off the back of that but i think it was just really you know it's interesting to see how much has not changed essentially so yeah. my favorite moment and it leads into the question i want to pose to you guys um i every time tim stamper the minor character, one of the other whips, appears on screen. I just, I absolutely loved it because he made my skin absolutely crawl. He was, <laughs> he did really well with a very, very small role. Yeah, yeah, he did, and he was so creepy. And and there was that scene in the final episode where I think Matty and him encounter each other in one of the tea rooms or something, and it's just oh it's awful it's it's and nothing really happens but it's some absolutely wonderful acting on that part and it's as you say it's a very minor role but um he did a lot of the material um and actually i'm i i yeah it's good that we're talking about stamper because i wanted to ask what what does ethical whipping look like because uh <laughs> because as you say michael you know People who say, "Oh well, we're not going to have," a I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. I mean, like, the democratic mandate of the party of the government comes from the manifesto, right? And if you don't whip people to vote on the manifesto, then on what basis can people properly voters properly assess your government, right? Um, and assess the the party. Um, but you know, what what can it be done in a way that isn't you know? So basically, in, in, I know in Australia the whip is very much if you. If you don't vote against the, if you vote against the party, you lose the whip. That's it. There's no, yeah. um, there's no leeway. And I think probably that would be a more healthy. Um, I don't know. Obviously, their political landscape isn't all that healthy, but it mm. sound just that principle sounds healthier than what we have, which is at best horse trading and at worst covering up serious crimes to the, you know, sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I don't know what it looks like. I mean there's loads of people who I just was thinking about during the show, no more so than Michael Gove, Gavin Williamson, Peter <laughs> Mandelson, because all of these people are, you know, to some extent, clearly try and project an image of not just fixing, but being the guy who rat fucks other people, you know, like, I don't know if you remember um, this Gavin Williamson photo when he was, you know, uh, he was under a huge deal of pressure and Boris Johnson was under a huge deal of pressure to sack him. And Ga Gavin uh, Williamson posted a picture of him at his desk with a little black book and the whip over it. This is after he had left the whip's office. Just, you know, it was a <laughs> signal, signal saying, I know all the dirty secrets. And it's like, you know, obviously to them, it's this inside joke. But as we know now, the, you know, the stuff in the show where um, 
you know, Urquhart and Stamper bring people into their office and say, you know, you've been caught, you know, on a train with uh, a male uh, prostitute or something. And they use this to leverage this person into, you know, supporting um, whatever. You know, that is obviously the most unethical whipping you could do. But obviously we know that that kind of thing did go on, you know. So I, I really don't know what ethical whipping looks like. I just know that, like Michael says, it's just completely unserious to suggest that you could just do away with it and that alone would, would solve things. I, I think the boring answer is like you probably need to change the like Westminster system, right? And it's pro you probably need like a move to proportional representation probably hardens party whips, but like in terms of like being a little bit more conciliate and all that sort of thing. I think that probably solves some of the problems. It's also probably worth noting that like a lot of what we think of kind of whipping these days is is more kind of nice horse trading than it is covering up stories and things like that. It's, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours rather than here are all of your dirty secrets and I've got the <laughs> spreadsheets, which I think is, you know, good. But, I, I, you know, it, it definitely still is the case that there have been like heinous there's there's been heinous shit done that has been covered up for party political reasons um so yeah i i'm not sure other than kind of like fundamentally changing westminster i think it's always going to be a bit like this but i think as as well it, it's kind of like the um standards in public life there's like seven seven principles or whatever that the nolan principle. principles the nolan principles there we are um yeah the, <laughs> A, a, you know, fine, fine example of, of why they don't really matter is that these are just kind of things <laughs> that people in principle agree you should abide by, but fundamentally, partially due to the shape of the institution, but also just at some point, you pop politics involves rat fucking. Um, it is always going to happen to an extent. Um, there's obviously no excuse for you know abuse and criminal activity and things like that, but you know people are always going to try and get one up on each other, one way or another, and that's that is just life, I think. Okay, I had, a, I had a few favorite moments. Um, so one of them was just in how sort of still, um, how timeless some of it is. Is So Patrick Walton says to uh, Urquhart when they're talking about getting rid of Collingridge, move too soon and the party will look like assassins, too late and the party will be in pieces. And obviously in the last mm. year we've seen Tory Party do both of these things, you know, with yeah. both Boris and Truss. That was very interesting. Um, and sort of a, a reminder of better days when... Um, Matty Storin, the journalist, says to Benjamin Landless, um, a newspaper writer, uh, that she would like to publish the poll that says the Tories are 30 points behind. And he says, damn good story, wrong damn paper. What do you think we are, the new statesman? You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> only we lived in a day where that was true. Oh, well. Um, oh. <laughs> so, Wait, he's telling me you didn't enjoy that Seb Payne article? <laughs> I sorry, I can't I can't speak on it as fear of losing my new statement subscription. <laughs> <laughs> what makes it timeless in a way that I think we can all agree the US version, which obviously came out much more recently, was not timeless. The, the US version is just worse by every metric, to be honest. Like okay, yeah. the production value is higher and like it, you know, maybe the soundtrack's a little bit better in places. But other than that, the actual kind of I just don't care. Like uh, you get past the first season, like, oh, this is actually, yeah, okay, whatever he's called. Um, Underwood. Underwood, that's the one. Yeah. Um, this is Underwood. Like, it's it kind of, oh, it's interesting. And then it quickly becomes. Another Fran West Wing clone. 
Well, yeah, the dark like, West Wing. <laughs> yeah, like what if the West Wing, but he was a bad guy. Yeah, and then it's <laughs> and it's just like, and then it's like, what if the West Wing, but he's a bad guy, but he's like God, and he can just do what anything. He's just got incredible foresight and power. Well, uh, the thing is, I didn't think he did in the show. Like, I thought one of the issues with it was in House of Cards. You know, Urquhart is basically omniscient. You know what I mean? Like he mm. he is two steps ahead of everyone at all times. Whereas in the US one. Underwood is not that guy at all. He is, you know, he he, he is a much more sort of uh, bitter guy. He's not as he's not as smart. He's not as powerful, and it's way more drawn out. And that they try and make it too much like real life, and they don't make it camp enough. Mm. The US one we're talking about, like the the UK one is very very camp. It's very silly. You know, you can laugh at it a lot. The US one is very sullen, very serious, and mm. it's trying to be like real life. There's no better example than this than how seriously they take the newspaper i can't remember the matty historian standing in the show zoe uh, barnes zoe barnes there you go that's good memory um but i thought like the way they did her character is so dated now because they have do you remember the slug line instead of oh yeah food? you know yeah. and they, they they really focused on this stuff whereas in the uk one you know that this character is just, you know, a means to an end. But in the US one, they try and, especially as it goes on, as as they completely deviate from the source material after series two, it just becomes a sort of, they're trying to outpace reality because obviously Trump was elected halfway through the run. And then they sort of realize that they're caught in this world that is much less, you know, explosive than real world politics. So they try and bring it back and it just never matches real life. And it's just, and you know, it's just obviously a vehicle for, the actors acting, you know, which is a big problem with, I think this is a big reason why a lot of stuff like this isn't made today, you know, because if you, the most obvious thing to compare the British House of Cards with today is Roadkill, because it's the only, <laughs> for my money, the only straight political drama with, you know, without a police element in it, you know, it's not a crime drama with politics as such, like something like Bodyguard. And all that was, was a, what if Hugh Laurie was a bit Boris-like, you know, <laughs> what if all politics was done through a Laura K filter? No charm, no, no, not not really any satire even as well. Even though he's playing a Boris figure, you know, and it, I think that's why it doesn't. I think the best if they remade House of Cards in Britain today, like the closest it would get to satire is if like they cast Ian Hislop and Paul Merton in a fake in-show Have I Got News For You. <laughs> you know, get, get some pen tapping going on and that would probably be the closest. Although, there's something about satire um, that that means it can, you know, it can age well. Um, uh, and the campiness almost feels like it's, um, it sort of feels like it's accidentally very uh for for there's a sort of the, the campy element feels kind of timely oddly enough it feels, yeah, it's yeah. A sort of yeah there's a kind of um appreciation for camp at the moment and sort of arch because villainy. everything's so gritty like if like how yeah. many how yeah. many batman yeah. films have we had based around the idea of a dark you know evil you know batman always angry rather than yeah. the yeah. adam west fun batman you know who goes around dancing and you know every time someone gets punched it says pow or whatever like that like <laughs> yeah, they, they remade uh star trek with uh patrick stewart and made it. I only watched like one series of it because I just couldn't be bothered. But it was depressing. Yeah. It was dark. It was, a, you know. But if you go back and even watch the '90s Star Trek, it's very bad sets. It's still very camp, even you know. But obviously, yeah. everything like James Bond as well. 
you know, after Austin Powers, they couldn't make James Bond remotely camp. So I don't know. Yeah. I think, I, I think there is something to that. I think you know, and maybe maybe that's why maybe we're virtual and controversial territory here. But the most recent Star Wars films, they don't do that thing that you can imagine because yeah, the originals, the prequels, and the originals are campy as hell. I mean, they are they're pretty silly. Yeah, um, and and you can imagine. Uh, I mean, the darkest it gets is Empire Strikes Back, really. Yeah, but that's the um, best one to be there. And it is the best one, yeah. But yeah. then, um, and you can imagine how they might have done a sort of Dark Knight sort of thing with um, with Star the Wars. new ones. Yeah, well, yeah made them really... That's, that's but they didn't. Of, they... Um, for me, the problem with that was they made the subtext text, you know, when they had yeah, yeah, Stormtroopers yeah. doing Nazi salutes. It's like, they're already called Stormtroopers. You, know? <laughs> you, don't, need, you don't need to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah, so you yeah, use yeah. Subtext to cowards or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you, you, have a, you make a really good point, though, about the American House of Cards being outpaced by events because the tone is very dark and it's gloomy the colors are all washed out the they it's, it's dark but really the stakes are like not they're not that high and the stakes of american it's one of those problems with american political um programs set in the 2000s or the early 2010s where they sort of try to make fun out of how gloomy and stagnant everything is where it becomes outpaced by events actually it doesn't seem so bad anymore you know there's a kind of like <laughs> longing for those days where we merely had um frank underwood you know murdering people and trying to claw his way murdered two people wow yeah. you know <laughs> there was a bit in it i thought what? was actually kind of like weirdly like, I, well, I mean, what was kind of interesting to look at now is like, oh, the bit with like all the nuclear power stations and stuff. And they're like, oh, this is like this big deal with China and it's all to do with like energy markets and stuff. And I remember watching that as like, as it came out, thinking that this is really fucking boring. I don't care about this. I care about the real shit. And it's like that echoed through time. And then it's like, oh, actually, all that matters is fucking energy markets. And this is actually kind of real politics as it as yeah. it actually happens. And, and you know, I just thinking back right now. I haven't you know watched it since it you know was was kind of airing. But you know that was interesting that that was included. And I, I guess it kind of contrasts with you know certainly the first series of the British House of Cards is that other than the kind of vibe of like the patrician far right of the Tory Party, there isn't really a sense of you know actual kind of like political issues and it gets into that in the in the subsequent seasons a little bit in terms of like i mean it was like if memory serves it's to do with like development and planning but also like the kind of the country is basically a tip and is kind of presiding over that and bashing the new king and coming up against him but it, it, in terms of the actual kind of like issues itself it, it, it's pretty light on them and, and that's kind of a virtue in some senses because it means that the kind of archetypes of the characters, even though they are so hyper-specific to the era, are timeless because there is always going to be a kind of old money hard right at the Tory party. There are always going to be kind of mushy people in the middle and there are going to be journalists who are kind of fumbling around the dark trying to trying to kind of make sense of it all um, and misusing their access and not realising that they're being used. The, you know, these are kind of fundamental aspects of, of you know, the way in which british democracy is set up so i think you know that's why it's i think aged so much better than the american house of cards 
Um, and I think why it will just fundamentally endure is just that it's evocative of an era that students of British political history and people who want to be involved in politics, you know, for the best part of the next, you know, the next century, people are still going to come back and look at it because it's it's still got something to say about circumstances that got us to where we are today, I think. I think the closest thing to it in terms of like, not timelessness, but in terms of really capturing the mood of its time is the thick of it, you mm. know, capturing the sort of uh, later new labor years um but obviously that is even then you know i think both of them are very specific to their time but obviously the thick of it is more of a straight comedy than the sort of satire drama of house of cards but um is there any sort of i think i think we're close to the end now so is any final thoughts for me well i wondered what you guys thought about it and you know placing it alongside those other classics of um British TV, British, British politics TV, like Yes Minister and I, I, I Our Friends it. in the North. So, on, well, honestly, like, I, I'd i rate above Our Friends in the North. I would say that really? it's probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I liked Our Friends in the North, but I thought, oh, I don't know. I don't, I always think I don't, I don't think I like, it's not something that I ever sort of felt this great affinity towards. You know, some people really, really love it. I just, I just thought it was a good drama. Um, obviously, again, very of its time. But I, 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 I didn't think it was that good, you know. Like I thought, House of Cards is probably up there with like I Claudius in terms of like the best drama the BBC has ever produced. But that is, you know, that might just be my own thing. You know, I really do like uh, Julius Caesar. You know, the the, the yeah. Shakespeare play. So that might just be my personal preference. I think from my perspective, I, I've not seen Our Friends in the North and I, I've not seen like a, a lot of the... I, I, I grew up watching a lot of like Columbo, basically, because <laughs> ITV3 was always on. Um, so I'm not really as well-versed in terms of like the kind of gamut of like British telly. Um, but for, for me, I think it's in, in terms of like the, a wider perspective, in terms of just like the way we think of kind of you know golden era tv now or like must must watch tv shows i think in terms of its its tightness its scope the performances um and how well it holds up um i i think it's a you know it's it's must watch for, for, for me anyway and i think it's it it, it certainly yeah. the first series it, it kind of loses its way after a little bit and you know it, it, it doesn't really i mean you know the the ending spoilers you know urkut dies but you know that that's you know but that, that's by the by. In the book, he dies in. So this is how how good the TV show was. That in the book, he dies in the book instead of Matty. Mm. He confronts Matty, and she says, um, "You know, Benjamin Landless has um, seen the. Um, you know, heard, heard all of my tapes, and you'll never be prime minister." And he jumps instead of instead of Matty. Mm. But it was so um, the the TV show was so well received that he, uh, the, the writer, Michael Dobbs, changed the ending of the book to the TV show. and yeah, It's a know, better ending. Oh, it is. And again, of how good the TV show was, the his catchphrase, you know, you may think that I couldn't possibly yeah. comment, <laughs> doesn't appear in the book, but mm. does in the TV show. So you, wow. it's, it's one of those you'd be surprised. But um, that's as far as I know, anyway. I honestly only read a bit of it and then watched an interview with him because I didn't find it particularly well-written. It was always, you know, um, his eyes uh, like polar ice, stuff like that, oh, you know. God. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. the, Vin yeah. the Vince Cable school of uh, writing, you know, 
literature yeah. and things like that. Um, because I think you know, as in terms of like drama, in terms of you know a, a period piece, as it were, um, and in terms of kind of good good old camp British fun, I think it's it, it's it's really good. I will say that its its impact on British politics and the gamma of kind of Tory MPs who convince themselves that they are Francis Urquhart and yeah. convince themselves <laughs> that they are actually all scheming or knowing and they they really are like the real deal I think cannot be understated for how damaging that is and particularly political journalists who just lean into it and being like well he's a bit like that one guy from that one show we all <laughs> like um is is I, th I think pretty boring on the whole and does a disservice to the show because I think um, you know, it's it's better than the the you know the B rate kind of invitations that we have today in our soap opera, uh, soap 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 opera, not a soap opera, soap opera, soap opera. <laughs> it's a long day, conference, all that sort of thing. Prepping for that's been horrible. This um, is it's three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, compared to our soap opera, yeah, yeah ours is a cheap imitation of, of some truly good proper British drama. And I think everyone should watch it if they have the opportunity. I think it's on iPlayer for the next month or so. I struggle to imagine the BBC putting together something as um, tight and well-crafted today. And if it was today, it would end with Urquhart being arrested. <laughs> there, there, were, there weren't enough police involved yeah, for this Solange to ever get commissioned. Yeah, uh, it would end up being a police procedural of some kind. Either so, Sir Jones or Sheridan Smith arrests Francis Urquhart and says, you'll never <laughs> see the light of day again. You're nicked. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's our show for today. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating. Full list of the films and TV shows we'll be covering can be found in the description. For any feedback, email us at editors at thesocialreview.co.uk. Our theme tune is The Dance by Kyle Cox, licensed under Creative Commons.